Hey friends, welcome back to another bonus episode of Theology Nira. This is a bonus Q&A episode where my uh, some of my Patreon supporters send in a bunch of questions, then they all vote on which questions they want me to address, and then I take the top 10 or 12 questions and uh, work through them. And this will be a, a sneak peek at the first part of that bonus Q&A episode. If you want, the, if you want access to the full uh, Q&A episode, um, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology and Raw, become a Patreon supporter for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, 10 bucks a month gives you access to actually ask the questions that I address on these Q&A podcasts. Uh, some of the questions I'll wrestle with are my thoughts on Rosaria Butterfield's critique of my view of using trans people's chosen pronouns. Uh, what are my thoughts on James Dobson and focus on the family's approach to LGBTQ related questions? What's my biggest takeaway from my interview with Sheila and Rebecca, uh, Sheila Gregoire, and Rebecca Lindbach. Um, what are my thoughts on there being no male pronouns for elder qualifications in the Greek in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Is church membership biblical? Should we encourage affirming kids to attend affirming churches when they leave the house? Does Paul's own signalness disqualify him from being an elder according to 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 6? And on and on it goes. We'll get to these and more uh, throughout this entire episode. So let's jump in. I think this is going to occupy the entire podcast episode. What are my thoughts on Rosaria Butterfield's recent post? And it's titled, wait for it, wait for it. Why I no longer use transgender pronouns and why you shouldn't either. This is on uh, the Reformation 21 blog. I don't know. Is this Rosaria's blog post or is this a, I don't know what this is. I don't I'm not, I don't know a lot of blogs. I don't read a lot of blogs in general. Um, so yeah, it's on the Reformation 21 uh, blog site. And um, I didn't read this article until somebody sent it to me. And um, so yeah, I don't want to read the whole thing. Let, let me let me start here. First of all, I have um, mad respect for Rosaria Butterfield. If you're not familiar with Rosaria, um, I came across her work years ago when she wrote a book called Secret, I think it's called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Um, Rosaria was a professor at an elite university. Uh, she, and I would, to use her language, she was a lesbian, um, very, very liberal. And she had this kind of, uh, well, an unlikely conversion to Jesus Christ. And now she, um, is a, a writer, speaker, super, super thoughtful. I mean, that book is incredible. Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Con Convert, if you've not read it. She also wrote another book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I have not read this book, but people that I, everyone that I respect that has read it just says it's incredible. It's an amazing uh, book. So uh, Rosaria is is a testimony to the grace of God, that the grace of God can reach anybody. Super sharp, super awesome. I, I haven't followed her work over the last few years. Okay. So I, I, yeah. So, so you may say <laughs> she may still be killing it. Some of you may say she's gone off the rails. I, I honestly don't, don't know. You know, I, I hear stuff that are grapevine, but I don't trust grapevine news. Um, if I'm not interacting with somebody's work directly, then I basically don't have an opinion on stuff I haven't read firsthand. So I, I don't, that's where I'm coming from, a uh, place of respect for Rosaria, even if we have some disagreements. Um, so in this blog post, and I don't want to read the whole thing, but she, ba well, as the title suggests, you know, she used to use people, trans people's chosen or preferred pronouns. Now she no longer does. Not only does she not use them, I mean, she says it's categorically sinful to use what she calls transgendered pronouns. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to criticize every little thing here in this article, because when it comes to 
questions around LGBTQ related questions, transgender uh, questions about transgender identities and experiences. I, I mean, the, the, I, I can nitpick a lot of stuff and that can get just really uh, exhausting. Um, I do find the phrase transgendered pronouns kind of odd, but I'll, I'll leave that aside. But um, Rosaria says using transgendered pronouns is a sin against the ninth commandment and encourages people to sin against the 10th commandment. Um, using transgendered pronouns is a sin against the creation ordinance. Using transgender pronouns is a sin against image bearing. It's a sin against, it discourages a believer's progressive sanctification, falsifies the gospel, cheapens redemption, tramples on the blood of Christ, fails to love my neighbors myself, fails to offer genuine Christian hospitality, and on and on she goes. I, I, I already think, even if, um, even if I agreed with Rosaria that we shouldn't use um, someone's pronouns that don't match their biological sex is maybe a better way of framing it. Even if I agreed with that, I think I think her language. I personally think her language here is 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 too strong. I wouldn't say using someone's pronouns cheapens redemption and tramples on the blood of Christ. To me, I, I don't. I think that's um, not just. I don't want to say too too strong language. Like we need to use weak language. I just think it's theologically not very sophisticated on a theological level to use that kind of critique against these pronouns. That that's that would be my opinion so far. And the reason why I got sent this article is because she names both me and Mark Yarhouse as disagreeing with her on this. Um, she says, psychologist Mark Yarhouse and author Preston Sprinkle summarized the Christian case for transgender pronouns. They believe using transgender pronouns is respectful of someone's chosen identity. It's kind and courteous and necessary for continuing a relationship with a transgender person. And then she goes on to say, I once sinfully said all these things too, but this position makes no Christian sense. I... Unless I, I'm just kind of skimming her article here. Yeah, I, I, it seems that that's her summary of my position, which I think that that is does not represent my position well at all. Uh, as if I just kind of say, hey, we should use someone's pr- pronouns because it's kind and courteous and it's necessary for relationship. I went back and read my 12-page um, section on this in my book, Embodied, uh, pages 200 to 212. And I, I just, if I... I if I can be as objectively as I can. Okay. So obviously I'm the author. I'm being, you know, um, disagreed with here, you know, criticized, I guess. Um, so it, it could, yeah, it, it could for e- be easy for me to kind of be defensive or no, you misunderstood me, whatever. I don't know from my most objective standpoint and you, you be the judge. You, you're not me. You're not her. You, you're a third party looking on. If you're familiar with my 12 page section and then I don't know. You you make the call. Is this a good summary of that twelve page, page section that I think you should use pronouns because it's respectful of someone's chosen identity. It's kind and courteous and necessary for for continuing relationship. I, I do agree with that, but that to reduce my position to that, I think is um, kind of I won't say it tramples on the blood of Christ, but I think it does misrepresent. I'm just kind of joking around. I, I think it mis it misrepresents some of the more sophisticated arguments I wrestled with both for using pronouns and not using pronouns in the 12 page section. In fact, you know, I summarize Rosaria's position. I don't think I name her in the book, but I do name like John Piper. I think I named Denny Burke, the national statement. Um, my friend, Rob Smith, who has a very good critique of my position and I'll I'm very happy saying, Hey, go read the critiques, read both sides. You know, like I think he's got a very thoughtful approach to not, well, he, he kind of takes, um, Rob takes more of a pronoun avoidance approach, but then still would 
to the best of his ability, not use someone's chosen pronouns. Um, and I even conclude that section saying, you know, personally, I think these arguments raise good points. Uh, but let, you know, and then I go on to talk about the arguments for pronoun hospitality, hospitality. So I, I do try to, um, I, I try to steal man, both sides of this argument. And I, f- I tried to do so fairly so that the reader can make up their, their mind by looking at the actual arguments. And then on pages 206 to 212, I give my reasons for siding with the pronoun uh, hospitality view, a pronoun hospitality, meaning in, in most cases, okay, I think there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, in most cases, I would, I would do my best to use someone's chosen pronouns. But it's not, I mean, I went back and read this section and I begin my defense of that view by even saying that I think we should be concerned with what I call like Orwellian attempts to use language to manipulate kind of reality. Like I'm very sympathetic to that. I even criticize legalizing using someone's pronouns. And I even cite, you know, the kind of well-known Canada's Bill C-16, which put Jordan Peterson on the map, you know, that, you know, using someone's pronouns should be an, uh, uh, an act of personal courtesy, not legal um, demand, you know? So I thought that was a good point that people like Rosaria Ray. So I, I think, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that. I think uh, language can be used to manipulate control, to force an ideology um, onto people. And I think all of that's very dangerous. My, my, my approach to this is out of, well, both out of common courtesy, but my main argument, which I would love um, especially as a linguist to hear Rosaria wrestle with is it, it assumes that there is this profound flexibility with language, e- even around gendered language. Like when the King James says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear Matthew eleven fifteen. This doesn't mean Jesus was letting everyone with ovaries off the hook. Yeah, for, and you could even say, well, yeah, I don't like, we shouldn't say guys that way. We shouldn't say he who has ears. I, and okay. That, that's another discussion. I'm just saying that that is, that testifies to the natural flexibility of language um, that we um, often kind of assume in, in, in our society. And I even, you know, look at how even different cultures will use the same English terms differently. You know, football in, um, uh, in the United States is different than football in the United Kingdom. Then I go back and look at how, you know, language has even shifted over, the English language has even shifted over time. Oh, I think I cite I actually cite an example from Chaucer. I was kind of impressed with that actually. I don't know how I dug that up, but I went went back to some of the old Eng- oh the old English the word girl g i r l e apparently um, was often used to mean people of either sex in the Canterbury Tales. Anyway, so I give several examples where language is flexible, and that kind of sets up this. Um, common scenario where as Christians, we use language that reflects our worldview and, and everybody else uses language to reflect their worldview. So I think pronouns should and do match your biological sex. Okay. So that, that's where I'm coming from. It's not. Yeah. So I think he, she should reflect one's biological sex. But other people, especially today, for various reasons, would say, no, my pronouns match my gender identity. Okay. I can disagree with that. I can disagree with even the concept of gender identity. I can disagree with everything that that other person is saying or believing. But 
in the world we live in, language is shared social space. So if you picture, you know, you have person A over here, person B over here, I'm holding up two fingers kind of opposite each other. Person A has a worldview that says pronouns match biological sex, and that would be me. And I think that's true and good and the best view to have. If I could be honest, I think that's true. But person B says, no, my pronouns match my biological sex. And that reflects their worldview. Do I demand that their language, that they use language to match my worldview? I would say, no, I don't expect that. And I would also assume they don't expect me to use language to, to, to resonate with their worldview. Now, so we're at a standstill. Either somebody has to kind of concede um, meet someone where they're at to um, accommodate to somebody's worldview for the sake of entering into a relationship, having a conversation, or we can maintain, no, I will not use language that um, reflects your worldview because I don't agree with that. And if we go about life that way, this isn't the only issue where we're going to have a hard time, I think, relating to people. So I I, I think I've been saying in the book, I'll say it here on, on air, that I, I think there are times, there, there might be times, there are times when we put our stake in the ground and, and we, we don't use language that concedes to somebody else's worldview. Um, I could get some examples here, but that's just going to open up so many cans of worms and you might not even be able to hear the rest of this podcast. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain. But I'm going to say that there might be times when if someone demands that I say something or, or believe, or especially believe something that I don't believe. I can't, I can't do that. This is one area where I, I would side with the view. And, and I might, everything I'm saying here, I might be like 80% sure of what I'm saying. Okay. This isn't, this is something that is complex. I understand. I think there's good arguments on both sides, but I would lean toward the view that in this case, I want to um, accommodate to where the person is at, not because I believe their worldview, nor do I embrace the connection they're making between their language and the worldview, but I'm going to accommodate, meet someone where they're at so that I can enter into a relationship with that person and honor the person, even in the midst of disagreement is, is how I would frame it. Okay. That, that's a short <laughs> version of a really long and complex issue. And, and some of you may say, yeah, I totally disagree with that. It's totally fine. Like I take a number. A lot of people disagree with what I said. I guess my, my only concern here is it feels like in this article, because the questioner was asking me what I thought about this article, was kind of reducing what I think is a much more, much more complex question down to simply, you know, doing all these very sinful things. I mean, she has a list of all the, I mean, I'm trampling, literally trampling on the blood of Christ for the sake of being kind and courteous is what my view is reduced to. And I think that that doesn't represent some of the more deeper complexity of an already complex uh, conversation. So if you want more on that, again, I have that 12 page section in my book, or if you want a free uh, summary of the pronoun hospitality view, you can go to centerforfaith.com under resources. We have a, a pastoral paper with, titled um, a case for pronoun hospitality written by Dr. Greg Coles, a friend of mine who kind of articulated and coined the term pronoun hospitality. Okay. Next question. Okay. This one's going to be quick. Uh, my thoughts on Dr. James Dobson and focus on the family, uh, specifically around LGBTQ issues in general. Again, going back to something I said in passing earlier, I don't like to give an opinion on something I haven't dug into firsthand. And I haven't dug into focus on the family's treatment of LGBTQ stuff very thoroughly firsthand. Um, that's just not been 
on my desk of things to do. Um, I, and I'm very well aware of the reputation that Focus on the Family has, Dr. James Dobson, who hasn't been there in years, I don't think. But here's the extent of my interaction with Focus on the Family is, is before uh, my team and I started the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, I think this might have been in fall, I want to say fall 20. 16 or spring 2017, we actually flew out to Denver to meet with, I think we were meeting with some various people. And we also wanted to meet with folks in the family, hear their approach, talk to the people on the inside, uh, get to know them, have them get to know us. Not not for any like partnership or anything, but we, we just, hey, we're starting this organization and we want to kind of get to know other people, influential people in the field. We sat down with, I don't actually remember their names and I wouldn't probably say them on the air anyway, but some of the in-house people that at that time were experts in this area. And we had a wonderful conversation. I thought that they were thoughtful, kind, gracious. Um, I would say that two or three individuals we talked to, in my opinion, were, were more gracious than the reputation of focus on the family as a whole sometimes comes off as. I hope that's I'm just speaking of the reputation. Like when I hear people talk about focus on the family and the circles I run, it's typically kind of like not always the best perspective. I was very impressed with, with their grace and kindness when I talked to them. I, I can see that there were going to be some differences, you know, I, I think they would probably line up with everything or most of what Rosaria says, at least on, on the pronoun thing. I think even th- they would come down harder against um, Christians using the term gay as a word to describe their experience or part of their identity um, using LGBTQ language. I think they would probably be nervous about that. So there's going to be difference. You know, we, we line up on the big picture stuff on, you know, his Christian historic view of marriage. And so I think that that's, um, you know, the, the main things I think were aligned on, but I could see some maybe di- differences in pastoral approach. Yeah. I think I just want to leave it at that. Cause I haven't really, yeah. Um, scoured through their documents, read stuff they've done. And so I, I want to reserve Again, opinion on for stuff that I have actually interacted with. Okay, next question. What was your biggest takeaway from your interview with Sheila and Rebecca? I forgot when this episode dropped. It was maybe a couple of weeks ago from the time this episode is uh, released. You can go back. Uh, it's on modesty and purity culture with Sheila Gregoire and Rebecca Lindenbach. They have become uh, two favorites, fan favorites among the Theology and Rock community. Um, they, they were on last year and we had a a hoot and holler of a time. And then they came back on this time to talk about their new book. She deserves better. Um, raising girls to resist toxic teachings on sex, self and speaking up. And I had, um, a wonderful time dialoguing with Sheila and Rebecca on some really important things. Part of my motive motivation for this is, you know, as many of you know, I have, uh, three teenage daughters, um, uh, two are still in the house. One's engaged to be married. And uh, we have these conversations all, all the time uh, about, about uh, modesty and, and uh, messages left over from purity culture and stuff. Let me, I guess, back up and, and um, say I have never read a book that would be classified as a purity culture book, I w- which is weird. Like I was raised, I became a Christian, I mean, in 97? Went to a conservative Christian college from 97 and 99 or 2000. Went to a conservative Christian seminary, 2000 to 2003. So, I mean, this is like, I now know, I didn't know then, was like at the heart of the purity culture movement. But only, as I remember, the only thing I can remember that was 
my only exposure was hearing about Josh Harris's book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. A lot of people at Masters College, now university, read the book. I never read it. I just remember like, oh, baby's kind of talking about that book. And that was it. I'm, I'm sure I must have heard messages, I guess, that, that were purity culture-esque. But I, I, you know, people recall these like, oh, the things that purity culture taught and this, and they told us this, they told us that, they used this illustrate. I don't, I dodged it. I don't know. I, maybe I was way too into like systematic theology and Pauline theology at that time that, to kind of care about that stuff. But all that to say, even though I was kind of, I kind of like, whistled through the belly of the purity culture beast without even really absorbing at least any of the cultural messages. So I feel like I learned more about purity culture in the last five to seven years talking to people who are, were inundated with the message messages from purity culture and hearing things. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Did they really say that? Really? You're a damaged goods and you're like a uh, a flower that's been de deflowered or whatever, deflowered, flowered, because you went too far with your boyfriend or something. And then the, the mess, the subtle messages are not so subtle that put blame on women for <sighs> things they experience from abuse to rape. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm like that can't be true. Did you? Did they really say like? So I'm I'm more coming at it, looking back on the purity culture, kind of shocked at some of the messages. Um, that were sent is is how I come into these conversations today. So it's a little bit of a selfish reason for how for me wanting Sheila and Rebecca on the show, but it was really because me and my daughters keep having ongoing conversations about this stuff. Like great conversation, like so good. I'm learning a ton from my daughters, and I'm like, hey, I, I know these two authors who came out with a book that is addressing this very thing. So I'm like, let's. I want to have them on the show so they can they can help me basically be a better dad to my daughters in a way that's healthy and doesn't, I would say, unintentionally imitate some of the stuff that um, has come out of purity culture. So, um, yeah, I love the interview. I thought it, I, I learned a ton. My biggest takeaway, I mean, there's too many to mention. I would say two that come to mind are number one, the unintended shame we create and how we, meaning let's just say Christian leaders, parents, talk about modesty. The way we go about modesty conversations, modesty talks, I, I think I've seen, and I, this comes from talking to my daughters and hearing from people like Sheila and Rebecca and, and many other people in my life who, who kind of have told me about some of the messaging that has come from purity culture. Um, I've had several people in the podcast that have gone into this, but um, so th that would be probably my number one takeaway is, and, and again, I'm going to say unintended shame. Obviously th there's very explicit intended ways in which Christians can shame girls. I, I'm, I'm th those to me are blatantly obvious and wrong and terrible and evil and wicked and need to be buried. Th but there's some, I think that are well-intended that are, are yeah, that, that send unintended messages that absolutely produce shame, especially in teen girls in particular. And, and, and I am so utterly thankful for Sheila and Rebecca, um, for, for driving that home and, sh and showing examples of how that can, that can happen. And also, I guess this is related, but another takeaway is how we can unintentionally make girls or, and women, uh, feel at fault or even partially at fault for any hint of abuse they experience. And I'm using abuse very generally here. There, there's, there's, there's been obviously a ton of just unchecked 
misogyny, abuse, all the way from like, you know, the SBC stuff going on, the Catholic church stuff going on, kind of the real blatant, explicit sexual assault and rape that, that hasn't been dealt with and has been covered up and, and mishandled. And I mean, obviously that's a huge, huge issue. Also, I would say some of the, again, the unintended or more subtle messaging that dehumanizes women. Um, and this is again, something that both my, I mean, my wife, my daughters and their friends, we have, you know, teenage girls in our house all the time. My, my daughters are bringing friends over. So we're having these ongoing conversations. And so I'm, um, constantly learning about how the church, again, I'll say obviously needs to deal with all the explicit stuff and that could take a lifetime to unravel, but also a lot of the unexplicit, unintentional, subtle messaging that happens. It's just simply in the air of, of the church that needs to be addressed. So all that to say, I, yeah, love my dialogue with Sheila and Rebecca as, so I, I, I will, let me just give a little addendum to that. So um, as some of you know, if you're on social media, you know that, I mean, I think pretty much every single episode on The Algen Raw, um, it, it gets, a, I would say, overwhelming positive response from what I could tell and always some negative response. Um, the negative responses can range from I didn't like the guest, I didn't like you, I didn't like anything, I, you know, like, or or they'll like, say, you said this and that's terrible. I'm like, did I say that? Like, where did I say that? I'll go back and listen. I'm like, I didn't say that. Like, I don't know how you got that. So I, I get a, you know, there's a, I would say that the negative critique happens after every single episode. And, you know, I talk about this at the beginning of every year when I kind of set the kind of vision for what Theology and Raw is. The nature of the kinds of conversations we have in the show, um, the way in which I like to go about raw, honest conversations, the, you know, the way I like to, so, you know, sometimes I like to test an idea by pushing back or trying to see things from different angles. And I, you know, I, I tried to do that with my conversation with Sheila and Rebecca. Um, and I, I thought that was good. And, and they seemed, you know, one of the, right when we ended, they were like, so thankful, like, thank you so much for pushing back. I'm like, oh, I, it, it wasn't, I, I'm not pushing back. because I disagree with probably much of anything you're saying, but just, I just like to test an idea. I'm like, what about this? What about that? what if somebody says this and on that scenario, what about, you know? Um, and I think, okay. So uh, yeah, after that episode, I got a really good range of positive responses. I got my the typical kind of negative stuff. Um, there was people that said, I couldn't finish the episode. I could just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't stand listening to Sheila and Rebecca. There are other people that said, I couldn't finish the episode because I couldn't stand listening to you. Like I, I got all the normal stuff, you know, critique of the guests, critique of me, critique of the topic, whatever. And, and some, some of it was like, this is what you said. And I disagree. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. I'm sorry. You disagree. Other things are like, this is what you said. And I disagree. I'm like, I didn't say that. I don't even believe that. Never even thought that idea that you said I have. So in the wake of this one, um, I got the typical, you know, friends shooting me stuff. Hey, did you see this? Did you see that? You know? Um, and I typically, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I guess I'm just call me a curmudgeon, but I'm just not really impressed with how like social media goes about critiquing stuff. So I, I typically just don't pay attention to it. Um, and when I do, I look at stuff and I'm like, yeah, that's why I don't look at stuff on social media. <laughs> you know, like I have enough, uh, I, I live, I don't really, I, I live outside of my echo chamber enough that I, 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 I'm constantly engaging in good faith, honest, curious, uh, steel man critiquing, you know, where people are saying, you know, rep, you know, here's the 
my best reading of what you said. And here's why I disagree. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Let's, I want to grow and, 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 and do better next time. So, um, I have enough of that in my life that I don't need to like, um, scour social media or Google my name to see all the stuff that people are saying about me. Then for some reason, this one, I had enough people send me stuff that I'm like, all right, I'm going to go check out and see what's, I'm going to peek behind the curtain of, of social media, see what's going on. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know. Seems seem kind of like the typical uh, stuff. And the reason why I don't spend more than, you know, 10 minutes on social media a week, but yeah. The, yeah. So I, I do, but I wonder, I, I, I want, I think there might've been a, I don't know. I don't know if this was like uh, uh, the normal range of critiques that I get, or if it was more than normal or less than normal. It's, it's hard to judge these things, but there did seem to be a an unusually high number of people that, in my opinion, you make your own decision, were not representing the podcast well or what I was saying um, really at all. In fact, I had one. I have one friend locally here, a woman who who deals a lot with like, I mean, I won't get into the details, but like is, is really very steeped in like situations where women are abused and threatened. And, you know, she's, she's very up to speed on this kind of stuff. And, um, she sent, I think my wife, an article written about me and says, Hey, I really want to talk to you guys. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, here we go. You know, like, and my wife says, well, okay, did you actually listen to the podcast? And she's like, no. Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed this portion of the Patreon only Q&A podcast. If you'd like to listen to the full length episode and receive other bonus content like monthly podcasts, opportunities to ask questions, access to first drafts of my research and monthly Zoom chats and more, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw to join theology in the raw's Patreon community. That's patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.